This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rashes, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c Every child is just different in the things that trigger them and how they're going to respond to those triggers from an innate nature standpoint, not from the nurturing or for the parenting aspect. So, you know, we have to understand that, yes, nurturing and raising kids is 100% nature and it's 100% nurture. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Peds Doc Talk podcast, a podcast that continues to grow because of you and your reviews. So thank you for tuning in, for being here, and for all of your love for this podcast. On this episode of Monday Mornings with Dr. Mona, I am talking with Rochelle about physical tantrums in her three-year-old son, Olin. Hey, Rochelle, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Tell me, what is your concern today as a mom? Hey, yeah. So uh, my main concern, I have a three and a half year old, almost three and a half year old, and he is very strong willed and he can have some very aggressive tendencies, especially when he's having a really big tantrum. I mean, we've gone through many phases with him. It's not like this is a new thing. <laughs> I think yeah. maybe the first sign of it was at like eight or nine months when he started biting me when he was nursing. And we worked through that. And, you know, there's been a lot of different phases he's gone through. But it's just that as he's gotten bigger and older, it feels much more challenging because his tantrums will often become a lot more physical. And a lot of the things that we try to do and the advice that I get and that I think is great advice, but you know, it's the basics of like, okay, I identify how he's feeling. I set the boundary for him and then they'll give advice like now just restrain him or move him away. But it's sometimes that's not as simple <laughs> as it sounds, you know, like it's very difficult to physically hold him back yeah. from hitting or um, sometimes it's, he's being so upset in his tantrum that I'm worried he's going to hurt himself. And it's hard to find a way to keep him safe because he's um, just being so big, like in his emotions in those moments. So yes, you kind of mentioned what you've done so far. So to kind of confirm, you obviously are verbalizing the emotions, empathizing with them, uh, reinstating the boundary. But of course, sometimes that boundary means the behavior may continue in that moment. And then you have physically removed yourself already from the situation or has that not happened yeah. yet? Yeah. yeah, I have. So it depends on me and my husband both do that. So it depends on the exact situation, right? But let's say, for example, um, he's hitting and biting or something because he gets really angry, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's a common one for him. Not all the time, but when he has those really big tantrums, you know, a few times a month, just those big blow ups, um, he can get really physical like that. And so, you know, I'll try to, we do our best to stay calm, 
not perfect at it. Of course, <laughs> try to stay of course, calm all and, of like, us. Level-headed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, try to stay calm, you know, like, hey, I see you're really angry. It's okay to feel that way. It's not okay to bite or hit mommy. You know, I'm going to move away now or I'm going to put you off my lap, you know, but sometimes he's so strong and fighting back against me so hard that it's not that simple. Like I can't simply move away from him. He chases after me or I'm worried he's going to hurt himself. He has at times like bit himself when he's really frustrated. And so then I'll try to like hold his arms down so he can't, but then he'll fight against me so hard that it's, I don't know, like I'm worried too. Like I don't want to hold him too hard and hurt him somehow, you know? So I think it's just kind of that, you know, figuring out there's a few other things we've tried to, we've done a lot when he's calm talking about coping strategies with him. So we've practiced like taking deep breaths. We've practiced, Hey, if you're really angry and you feel like you want to hit something, we've talked about like, he can go find his pillow on his bed and that's an okay thing to hit, but we never hit people or we've tried different things. And there has been some success there. Like there are times that he catches himself and he actually takes a deep breath. That happened a few days ago. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but you know, it doesn't, he's only three and a half. He's not going to get it every time. And so I'm still just struggling. My husband and I are like, okay, when he has those really big hard tantrums, you know, what's the best way to help him and keep him and us safe? And you mentioned it already that, you know, obviously your kind of concerns are him hurting himself, obviously him hurting you, and just also the safety mm-hmm. aspect. Is there anything else that you would say is the hardest aspect of this, including like your concerns, your frustrations? What would you say is like the feelings that go inside of yeah. you when um, this is all happening? For sure. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, uh, when he is really aggressive towards me, or I should mention as well, he has a four month old baby sister now. Um, Mm -hmm. So that also makes it harder because now if I'm or my husband are watching both of them by ourselves and he happens to have a big and I should it maybe sounds like he has this all the time. This isn't all the time, you know, but he skips a nap or he's overtired or there's some days that it just happens, you know. And so that's maybe one of the hardest parts now is that there's this extra layer of we want to help him and keep him safe and work through it with him. But we also need to keep her safe. And he hasn't been super aggressive towards her. He adores her. But, you know, when he gets like that, he's not really thinking rationally, you know? Right. So that's kind of a challenge, an extra challenge. And I would say just for myself, like, (laughs) I get super angry when he starts being angry towards me. And that doesn't help, right? So one of the hardest parts is trying to figure out how I can take a moment to calm myself when I feel like there isn't a moment available. Like, he needs me right then to try to, you know, keep him safe in that moment. And I think the other thing that's really challenging is it feels isolating because I don't feel like I hear these type of tantrums talked about Mm -hmm. as much. And so there's times that we question, like, are we doing something wrong or do we need to get help? Like, is this normal? You know, which I've read enough that I'm pretty sure it's normal. Yeah. (laughs) I think parents are nervous to talk about maybe when their kids get more like violent, like tantrums like that. That I think maybe we think it's like a reflection on us mm-hmm. when it's not. So I think it can just feel kind of isolating sometimes because I don't always hear others talk about that as much. So it's just kind of like, oh, like, is this normal, you know? Oh, completely. And I'm so happy that I can have you and other parents. Um, they've been mostly moms so far, but come on the podcast to talk about this, to normalize these very common childhood behaviors. And you're describing something mm-hmm. that a lot of children do do. And I think one of the hardest things is, you know, society expects children to behave and act a certain way. And when your child has a more physical tantrum, albeit it's not 
often, you said, it can feel mm-hmm. like it's a reflection of our parenting, like you mentioned, when it's actually just a moment that that child's having. You know, they are figuring out yeah. what these big emotions mean. They are figuring out how to handle the big emotions. And it is not a reflection of you. It is not a reflection of anything more than us navigating this in the moment. And that can be really hard from a parenting mm-hmm. standpoint of judgment and what are people saying? Or, you know, my kid is a great kid, I promise, you know, all the labels that people put on their yeah. children. Um, but yeah, like every child to some degree is going to have a major meltdown. And some children, the way they process those major meltdowns is with physical aggression. And mm-hmm. I think you have already started doing a lot of amazing things. I think one of the biggest things we have to remember is that every child has different temperaments. So some children with one emotion may just be like, okay, I'm going to cry a little bit and it's fine. Another child may have a big meltdown, physical aggression, all of that stuff. Every Mm -hmm. child is just different in the things that trigger them and how they're going to respond to those triggers from an innate nature standpoint, not from the nurturing or for the parenting aspect. So, you know, we have to understand that, yes, nurturing and raising kids is 100% nature and it's 100% nurture, right? So there's a combination of things Mm -hmm. happening here. And you, you know, you have another child, that child, you could do the exact same parenting tips, the same exact parenting models that you've been doing, yet that child may respond better to that. And that doesn't mean that you did something wrong. Every child is just so unique in their needs and their responses that you need. So your child sounds like um, Olin, right? It sounds like he has pretty big emotions. Obviously, most (laughs) people do. And these big emotions are leading him to what I call major dysregulation episodes. You know, I call these moments where children are hitting, kicking, screaming, like you can't even reason with them, obviously, dysregulation episodes. So in these episodes, it's very important to always try to go back to basics of trying not to explain any why. And I think you did that really well, but not why you don't hit, why you don't do this. If you're physically removing yourself from the situation, you say, I'm moving myself because you're hitting, but you're not going to say, we don't hit and hitting is this. And, you know, because in that Mm -hmm. moment, all they're hearing is chaos in their brain. All they hear in that moment is I'm dysregulated. I'm dysregulated. So our main goal in dysregulation is how am I going to meet their emotional chaos right now by staying calm and by also recognizing that they're having a really hard time. And you said you've already started to do that in terms of like the verbalization and the kind of empathizing that I see that you're really upset right now and it's okay to be upset. And sometimes that means doing something completely different and not trying to say a lot of things like literally Mm -hmm. just sitting on the ground and saying, and sitting with your child and saying, you know what, you're having very big feelings right now. And it's really, you know, you're going through something really hard right now. I'm here if you need me. And, you know, you sit on the ground, they may be throwing themselves on the ground. If he tries coming at you and physically trying to hit you, which it sounds like sometimes that does happen, then of course, Mm -hmm. then you have to reiterate and say, you are hitting mommy. I have to move myself. And sometimes that means, you know, moving to a different part of the house. Sometimes it means, you know, putting a pillow in front of you so that you have some cushion, but it's not, you know, saying, don't hit me, don't hit me, don't hit me. It's really just saying, I am going to physically remove myself and you can have your moment. So, you know, you're allowing them to like release and not try to fix anything in that dysregulation moment per se. Um, Mm -hmm. I also like to talk about like healthy, coping skills that may help Olin, um, because every child is different. Have you tried in the moment? You know, I know you said you teach him 
breathing exercises or he did some breathing exercise to kind of calm himself down. But Mm -hmm. do you guys also incorporate different coping skills like moving the body, getting outside or, you know, being kind of silly or kind of humor in a situation, Um, not necessarily in a tantrum, but just kind of as like a teaching point for coping skills in general. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just 2 minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with factor meals because they're ready in two minutes. No shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious factor meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's one thing we've kind of been experimenting, like trying to figure out like what what, his coping skill would be. Yeah. Like what's going to work for him? You know, like I know, and I'll try to tell him sometimes like, this is what works for mommy when I'm feeling upset. To be honest, I'm not sure we fully found like what clicks for him yet. The deep breaths seem to help him sometimes. Like he'll catch himself sometimes. Like I'll see him not usually in the big, big moments, right? But they're definitely helping in some of the smaller moments. I'll see him like get frustrated playing and sometimes he'll take a few breaths. And so if anybody's listening and they're like, oh man, that worked quickly. No, we've been doing that with him for like probably a year and a half. (laughs) And I think I just saw him starting to do that. So it definitely has like taken a lot of time for him to like start having that click that that's something he could do. But I'm not sure that we fully found yet for him, like when he gets really upset, like what's the best thing to help him? He has a few times told us that he needed quiet time. Um, So he'll start to get upset and he'll like shout, I need quiet time. And we're like, okay. (laughs) Um, I like the idea of, you know, maybe showing him a way he can move his body or because I think he's so physical that it just helps him if he can physically get energy out sometimes. And that is why I'm bringing it up because a lot of children, um, and I'm going to say it because 
I do believe there is a slight difference in sex, but boys mm-hmm. tend to like more physical releases of stress. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it doesn't mean that some boys, like my son is a blend of deep breaths, but he also, when he's having a hard meltdown, it's really hard to do this, but sometimes it means taking him by the hand or carrying him to his stroller and we get outside for a walk. And when he's in the stroller for our son, it actually helps with like him feeling contained and safe, Mm -hmm. right? That he can kind of have a release and then being out in nature for a walk actually helps him finally kind of calm down. And I love nature as a form of relaxation as it is. And I think Mm -hmm. it's one of the most healthiest coping skills or going outside if you are able to weather permitting, not obviously Mm -hmm. if you're in like a major public place, because I don't want you to feel like, you know, people are like staring and whatnot. I know that's hard, but if you are in your (laughs) home and this meltdown is happening, we can say, you know, let's go outside. And you're not explaining why you're going outside. You're just doing it in the moment so that he can Mm -hmm. be allowed to kind of let it all out. Right. Sometimes it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's called paradoxical instruction. Sometimes when we are allow our child to scream and say, hey, look, I need you to just let it out. I'm here. You're safe. Go ahead and scream. Let it out. Because what could be happening is the physical aggression can be happening when he feels that maybe the yelling isn't okay. which I get it. I don't want him yelling and screaming all the time. But as we're Mm -hmm. teaching him, this paradoxical instruction can be like, hey, look, I want you to scream and shout until you're ready. I am here. If you need to yell, go ahead. You're in a safe space with mommy or daddy. And I want you to go ahead and let it out. We are not going anywhere. But and then that balance of physical aggression, obviously, we need to set those boundaries, which I think you are. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help him before that physical aggression happens, right? Like, how can we get him in that dysregulation moment? Because I've been there when a child is so dysregulated that when they're dysregulated, they're just running around like with no awareness, right? They're going to try to Mm -hmm. knock down all the toys and they're going to try to hit you or they'll, my son did this tumble out of his crib out of just, just Mm -hmm. dysregulation because he was Mm -hmm. like, just so upset, right? Like they are not thinking clearly, which they're children. So of course they're not going to be thinking clearly. So that's kind of what I think may be a little bit helpful. Is any of these things, things that you've already been doing or things that you're like, oh, that may actually be something we have to kind of still pursue or think about. Yeah, I think we have been doing some of those things, you know, and I think some of it is all the timing of when it happens, right? So, um, you know, sometimes I'm able to catch like that I can kind of tell he's in a more irritable mood, more prone to that. And so I can try to do a reset. Hey, let's go for a walk. Let's go outside. Let's do stuff like that. Um, I haven't thought about before, like trying to do that maybe in the moment he's having a really tough time. I think that could work sometimes. I think part Mm -hmm. of the challenge too is that it is when it, and I don't know. It seems like a lot of the times it happens at like the worst moment it could, right? Of like, course. Of course. Like, and okay, maybe not the worst. He's actually had very few that are in public. They usually are at home, um, which is lucky for us. <laughs> I know that's not yeah. always that way, you know. But like sometimes a common one for him is that sometimes it's like in the middle of the night. Mm. Which then I'm like, man, there could be so many things. He could have been overtired at bedtime. Maybe he had a bad dream that he's not explaining to us or Maybe he's having separation anxiety. He's gone through little phases of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so at nighttime, not all the different options are available always. Or sometimes now, like with the four-month-old, I guess to give an example of a very difficult time that I had a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, I know some of this was him still. There's probably some aspects of him. He loves his sister, but there's times he struggles with not having all the attention, you know. So there was a night, one of the first nights that I was trying to do bedtime for both of them by myself because my husband had some work he had to go do. 
And he was doing great until we got close to bedtime and he just started to lose it, you know, and he was being really physical. And usually it doesn't come out towards his sister at all. But like you said, like they're not really rational when they're this upset, right? So yeah. he hit her once and then she was really upset. So I was trying to remove her to safety and it was hard to get him out. So I think in my head, I'm most anxious about those moments where it's hard to try to enact some of those plans or like I couldn't really get him outside in that moment. Um, right. Correct. Like that. But overall, I think there are some of those things that I could try to do more with him um, to try to find like what really helps regulate him. Yeah. And I think one thing I want to bring up, because I also, as you know, a parenting philosophy, I tend to not use a lot of timeouts. Um, timeouts mm -hmm. is not something I personally use, but I know that it can be very useful in certain situations. And I'm giving mm -hmm. this example because have you ever used a timeout for him? Um, not for the no. most part. I will yeah. say that that particular scenario I'm talking about, I did go and put him in his room for a minute. And yes, we actually have like a door lock on his room because we were having a lot of issues with him coming out at night and we yep. felt safety risk. So I felt terrible that night doing that, but I needed to help his sister first and get, her yes. Home. So I put him in his room. I told him, I love you. I'll be back in a moment. And mm -hmm. I like closed him in so he couldn't get out of his room. And then once I got her somewhat calm and checked that she was okay, I went into him and he was still really angry. I think he was really upset. I left him in there. So I felt at that moment, I felt super guilty about it. <laughs> well, this uh, is what, I, yeah, it's really the closest I've come to doing it. Usually we try if we can to like sit with him. Yes. Really upset. The sitting is something that I also utilize more, um, but Hey, you can have these feelings, but you know what? If, just have the feeling, but I'm here for you. I also do offer like in the moments, like, because if they're so dysregulated, sometimes they want the physical connection and they mm -hmm. don't know what that means. So they end up hitting. Mm -hmm. It's almost like mm -hmm. the hitting is a action that is the background of it is that either they're tired or whatever it means, but it could be also that they're using that for the physical attention and physical connection right? Yeah. So they're getting a rise out of you. They're being able to connect with you in that way. I know that sounds a little bit weird, but the physical act of hitting a parent is almost like the connection that they want and the attention sure. that they want. And so surprising mm -hmm. him with connection. So if you can see a trend, like, Hey, this commonly happens at evenings, you know, after school, then you're able to kind of say, okay, I need to make sure that I give like 10 minutes of alone time or more connection, surprise him with a hug before bedtime, like knowing that his trigger may be a certain situation. It's not always easy mm -hmm. to do that, but, um, that surprising of connection can really help them so that they feel that we see them and that we hear them and all of those things that they don't feel like no one understands me that I'm dysregulated. Mm -hmm. No one gets me where I'm coming from. But the mm -hmm. pivoting to use a timeout, the reason I'm glad that you mentioned it, I also have used it once. And there's a lot of misconception about timeout. The timeout, you used it in a situation that was exactly kind of when I expect a lot of parents to use it in that you mm -hmm. needed to keep another sibling safe and you also had to manage another sibling and you don't have the ability at that current moment to do both right? Mm -hmm. um, and you needed that for you. And you also did a really great job of saying to him, I love you. And I'm going to put you here for just a second for your safety and my safety. And I will be back. The fact that you mm -hmm. verbalize that, whether they register that or not is actually very impactful to me. And then after the timeout situation that you gave, allowing time for connection, you know, comfort mm -hmm. when they calm down, um, explaining to them that when they're calm down, not when they're aggressive still or upset, 
that yeah. I love you so much. I know we needed a moment. You needed a moment. Mommy needed a moment. And I love you. And I love everything about you. And I'm always here for you. You know, that is kind of how I also remove any of that sort of time out guilt. But I hope people listening to this don't have timeout guilt, it can make us feel really bad, especially when a lot of social media accounts say that timeouts are not okay and that they're not um, really good for kids. They can Mm -hmm. be if we sandwich it in the right way um, and are using it in situations like this where you literally have no other option as to how Mm -hmm. can you manage both situations and you need something to protect everybody, right? Your furniture is probably mounted in that room like (laughs) everything's safe. You have the ability to keep him physically safe while you can do what you need to do. Um, is something mm-hmm. I think really valuable that is something that you may find like when they're having the big emotion, if you may start to see that timeouts do work, how did he feel after that timeout? You said he was upset, but did he calm down after the timeout? Um, he did eventually. Yeah. I mean, that night was kind of up and down. He had a lot of waves, so he would get calm and then he'd get really upset again and then calm and really upset again. And uh, to be fair, I think he was also overtired that day. <laughs> so it yes. was just kind of a, and it was the first time in a while that like I was doing bedtime, usually in the past before little sister was there, if Mm -hmm. daddy was gone and it was mommy home, it was like, he got 100% of mommy. Right. Right. Um, Right. So I'm sure there was a lot of different things playing into it. So when I went back in, like he was really upset that I had put him in there. And so I sat and hugged him for a while and we talked a bit about it and he wanted to go check if his sister was okay. And, you know, was kind of calming again. And then if I remember right, I blocked some of it out of my head. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> if I, if I remember right, he, he had a few more waves where he got really upset again throughout the night, you know, but when, when I was trying to get him down back and forth. But no, I appreciate you saying that because I think, you know, we do put so much guilt on ourselves. And I, I just felt so bad in that moment that I felt like I couldn't give both kids fully what they needed. But that's just the reality sometimes. You made it halfway through an episode, so you must be loving the show. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel where I share answers to all of the common topics submitted to me regarding child health, development, and debunking all that misinformation you hear online. My goal is for PDT to be a one-stop shop for your searching needs. Bye-bye late-night Googling. So make sure to go to YouTube and search Peds Doc Talk TV. Hit that subscribe button and binge watch all the amazing episodes and episodes to come. Have suggestions for future videos? Make sure to chat in the community section on my YouTube channel. Have you heard about the terrible twos or three-nagers? Yes, the toddler years can be tough. There is no denying that any phase of parenting can be really hard. There may be picky eating, tantrums, and struggles with potty training. But there is a lot of amazing things that you will see your toddler do during these years. I want you to enter the toddler years understanding toddler development and behavior so you can better approach tricky situations with your child. With resources on picky eating, potty training, tantrums, and other common toddler behavior like sleep refusal and toddler development, the toddler resources here at Peds Doc Talk aim to provide you with the knowledge you need to, dare I say, find some or a lot of enjoyment in the toddler years. For more on my on-demand courses, make sure to visit pedsdoctalk.com and check out resources for whatever you need. Have a friend? It also makes a perfect gift. Visit pedsdoctalk.com and click courses for more. Yeah. And even if a person listening to this has one child, I mean, some moments 
you're going to need that moment. And I've, mm-hmm. again, we've done one timeout so far and we probably will use more as he gets older. Yeah. At the time of this recording, my son's 30 months old. Okay. And it mm-hmm. was a situation where we basically like, he wasn't listening to the things that normally work. Correct. Like yeah. all the things that we normally do. And I'm explaining this because it's so important. Like the, Hey Ryan boundary setting, he was not listening. He kept throwing something that we kept telling him not to throw. And yeah. I also, and my husband was also ourselves a little dysregulated at that moment, but of course yeah. we're adults and we're not screaming and whatever, but I felt like, you know what, we need to give him some space. So I walked him to his room and I said, Ryan, you're having a difficult time hearing me right now. I'm going to put you in your crib because he's still in a crib. I'm just going to give you a moment and mommy will be right back. And in that situation, I like had the door open. Like he basically got some, a moment to calm down. He did calm down after a minute and a half. And then I went back in there and I picked him up and I gave him a big hug. And, you know, we did exactly what I'm asking, you know, you to do that. Yes, it did not feel good to hear them crying. And you want to be there when your brain is trained to sit in there with them. But at sometimes if they're being aggressive or if they are, you know, in those moments where you're like, I'm actually concerned that I'm going to not be able to stay calm or I'm concerned yeah. of my safety or my sibling safety or the, a sibling safety that I'm going to utilize these tools in my tool belt and just give each other or give ourselves a, a little bit of a break. And then mm-hmm. the most important thing when you get back is so key is the, even, you know, when they're kind of getting more calm a little bit is that sort of repair of, Hey, sweetie, I love you so much. How did you feel in your moment? You know, like, and they're still probably crying and upset. Yeah. And you're just reiterating the fact that, we all needed this moment. It's not even just for the child. It's also for us, those moments that we do maybe separate them from us. But I do like that, you know, already what you're doing in terms of the, in the moment, um, normalizing the feeling, I would add, like I said, the seeing what the coping skill for him would be, whether it's turning on some music. And I know, you know, distraction is almost like a controversial kind of parenting thing that in the moment, why are we going to distract them? But you're not distracting them from their feeling. You're saying it's okay to feel this way. Why don't we turn on some music and just move our bodies and dance? And they may say, no, mama, no, no. But sometimes that can really be what they need, especially for a more physical child, right? Mm -hmm. Moving the body, getting outside, changing the scenery. These are all things that we can do in the moment so that we can all get dysregulated, if that's a word, but um, so that we can all just kind of get back to that phase. But in that moment, if we're kind of going into like the cycle of, okay, he's hitting me, I'm stepping away, and then he chases me. And then now he's gonna like slam his face on the ground. And it's so dysregulated for everybody in that moment. Sometimes the changing of the scenery in the daytime is fine. At night, it may mean just stepping outside, going to get a glass of water, like doing something just to kind of get yourself out of that physical space that's energy wise, kind of feeding into that sort of energy of a mood for him at that moment. But that can be something that can really help as well. Yeah, no, I appreciate all that. I think those are really helpful. I think sometimes like it's easy to get stuck in a rut, like when you've been trying the same things for a while, um, which is good because I know toddlers need consistency that, and it takes a while, but I appreciate some of those things. I think maybe we've been in a little bit of a rut of thinking about ways to help him cope with it. So I like some of those yes. ideas of new ways to try with him and he's very good at communicating and talking. So I love the idea of just kind of talking to him more and helping him think more about like what helps you calm down. What do you yes. would help instead of us just like telling him like, Hey, you should take some deep breaths or you should do this, you know? And the other thing just to kind of clarify, which I think you are doing, and I want to make sure is that you mm-hmm. are doing a great job of teaching him those coping skills 
when he is calm, right? Like the breathing yes. exercises yes. you're doing, the let's get outside. And it's almost like putting the seed in their head that, you know, mm-hmm. moving our bodies, getting outside, breathing exercises, jumping jacks, whatever it is, these are all great things that we do when we're calm. But because they are smart, you know, three-year-olds and two plus, they cognitively understand. These are great things to do when we're not feeling our, you know, we're feeling kind of off or feeling kind of sad or feeling like a little bit that our emotions are very big. Me and daddy also feel the same way. You know, mommy loves to work out or kind of making mm-hmm. them feel a little bit more relatable to you and that you're human also, and that you do this to cope with your big feelings and they'll learn something. But yes, you are doing that fantastically that you are doing it in the calm moments when there is a dysregulated moment, you can remind them about it. But I wouldn't focus so much on trying to make them do all of those coping, like, you know, the breathing, you can try to do that a little bit. But don't worry if they're not doing it all. Like, you know, I talked about putting on music or going outside. These are just change of scenery or change of energy situations. But don't be Mm -hmm. alarmed. Like, as you know, like in the moment, if they're like, I don't care, don't talk to me, because they're just so upset, you know, whatever it is oh, that yeah. got them upset. <laughs> the only thing that their brain is hearing right now is basically like squiggles going around in circles that I don't know what's going on. I feel these things. I don't know how to process it. I don't know what to do with it. So anything that we do has to be from a place of, I see that you're very upset. I see it. I see it. I see it. And then we're going to get through this, um, you know, with the long-term education and coaching on coping skills during the calm moments. And that is exactly what you're doing, I think, yeah. really well. Yeah, we learned that the hard way. I think earlier on, we would try to tell him sometimes, like, okay, we should take deep breaths now. And he would just get angry, like, I don't yeah. want to. And we're like, okay, that's... But it does, like you mentioned, like, what I'll often do with him is I'll take a deep breath myself. Yes. And I'll tell him, like, I'm taking a deep breath to calm down rather than telling him he should. Because if I tell him he yes. should do something, then automatically he doesn't want to in that moment, right? And that's, <laughs> so, that's yeah, absolutely that's modeling. Like thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's they modeling, have to right? Come to it. They have yes. to kind of come to it on their own, which you know can take a long time. But yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. I think, and like I said, the deep breaths work sometimes. But I think you're absolutely right. I think we need to focus on some more, you know, physical things he can do. I think that's probably going to be really helpful for him. Yeah, and I can tell that because again, I love having these conversations because. In another child, I could have talked to a different mom and she would have said, my child is more of a sensitive person and needs that sort of touchy feely. (laughs) But every child is so unique in temperament that some kids need a little bit of space. Some kids want the hug. Some kids want Mm -hmm. to move their body. And I've seen it, you know, from a young age, I'd watch Ryan, you know, want to one, sometimes he wanted a hug. Sometimes he just wanted no one to touch him. He's like, don't touch Mm -hmm. me. But then as he gets older, he knew that I'm always going to be there for him for the physical hug, if he wanted it for that physical connection. And then he has now understood, this is what I need in the moment. I right now need no one to talk to me. I'm just going to cry on the floor, right? Mommy and daddy are in the Mm -hmm. room, but I'm just going to cry on the floor. And then other moments, you know, he's like, I'm like, Ryan, do you want a hug right now? I feel like maybe you want a hug. And he's like, yes, mama. I'm like, then come over here. You always can get a hug from mommy, right? And sometimes yeah. it stops the tantrum. Sometimes it doesn't, right? So it's such an art yeah. of knowing your child's temperament and, again, loving to, having these conversations so that we can normalize the variation in child temperament mm-hmm. and that literally you are not doing anything, quote unquote, wrong. I know it can <laughs> feel like that because people don't talk about this enough of like, you know, what is it that a child should be doing and how long should the tantrum last? I can say that I am, you know, happy to hear that this is not the norm, you know, and if this yeah. if violent, aggressive tantrums 
were the norm in your house, like more times than not, then I would say, you know, mm-hmm. we need to kind of dig a little further as to schedules and routine and development and all of this. Like, why is he having so many frequent aggressive meltdowns? But it sounds as if your child is a pretty typical toddler and there is a spectrum of aggressiveness in toddlers, but it sounds to me to be very within the normal range for a child and y'all are recognizing it and working towards it. So I think that's the best combo to see change. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate those ideas. Um, sometimes you just need like a fresh look to think yes. of new things to do. So yeah, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate the talk about timeouts too, because yeah, like I ideally don't want to do timeouts with him, but you're absolutely right. Sometimes it's the best for you and him just to take that moment so you can calm down or take care of other things. And so that's really reassuring. Yeah. And again, I love having these conversations just for the nuance and the respect of the unique child and parent relationship in every conversation I have on this series. So Mm -hmm. what would you say would be like just a few take homes? I know you said you're going to kind of try to look (laughs) for more physical ways of coping skills for him. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the top ones is practicing with him and trying to find more physical safe things that he can do um, when he has energy, excess energy to get out. I also, this was earlier, you were talking about this, but it was just kind of a reminder for me. I know sometimes I have the habit, even though I know sometimes I just need to be quiet with him when he keeps going for a while or keeps hitting or keeps trying to bite or something. I'll, you know, keep trying to tell him like, no, that hurts. No, don't do that. And I'm like, okay, no, you're right. I have to remember just that none of that's getting through to him in those moments. And I have found that usually when I'm quiet and I tell him like, I'm going to keep you and mommy safe. I'm here when you want to hug that he does tend to calm down faster. So that was a good mm-hmm. reminder just because I think as he gets older, it's just like, I have this desire to explain to him why he shouldn't yes. do that. And that's not helpful in the moment. And then, yeah, just that idea of not to feel guilty or bad. If there's moments where I do feel like having him and me take some time, either because I need to help his sister or because I'm upset and I need to calm down too. Like, I think that's just a really good, like you said, like a something to have in your toolkit um, mm-hmm. that it's not my first go-to, but I know that it's not like terrible to use when I feel like that's what's best for that moment. I love it. And I, my favorite of the three that you're going to take home, all of them are important to me, but the it's okay to be quiet is something I've had to learn so much um, <laughs> being a toddler parent, because I tend to want to fill the space with, I see you mm-hmm. and I verbalize mm-hmm. because it is important to verbalize what you're seeing and feeling, but there is a degree of when it just becomes too much and they just stop listening. Right. Um, And I kind of think about it with adults, right? Like if me and you are having a conversation and you are really sad about something and if every time you're sad and me and you are sitting and you, I just keep saying, Oh, it's okay. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes you just want to sit with someone and just cry and be sad Mm -hmm. and have that person not fill the space with anything, but just your physical presence. And that is like a huge power that I think a lot of times we don't talk about in the parenting space is that it's okay to not say anything. It's okay to literally just be sitting with your child and that way they know that you physically are there, but that you're not trying to change anything or be anything, or you're just going to like let them have that moment. And then when that moment's done, you are there for them, comforting them because tantrums are tiring for children Mm -hmm. and they're also very tiring for us. So after the tantrum, like I've seen, you know, Ryan, and I'm sure you've seen this for Olin like he just feels drained, right? Like their Mm -hmm. body just seems exhausted. And I literally Mm -hmm. just like, even when I hug my son, it feels like he's more exhausted and tired. And I'm like, it's hard having a tantrum. Like it's a lot of big emotions and crying. And that moment after I think is going to be 
a good reminder for them that, you know, you're there for them, however it is that you're there for them, but they're going to feel, you know, more comforted in that repetition of that presence. And so I think these are amazing take homes. And I'm just so glad that you could join me today. Thanks for having me. This has been a great conversation. When our children have these big emotions, it can be very hard. And then when you add on the physical nature of a tantrum, it can feel even harder. You want to keep them safe, keep yourself safe, keep other siblings safe. And then like we talked about, sometimes you can feel like you're not doing it right, that something's wrong with your child. I want to wrap up this episode with three take-home principles. Now, remember, these principles, if you think about it, can be applied in many different parenting situations. But I'm going to talk about how it applies to Olin and his big feelings and those physical tantrums. Number one, it is important to normalize the feeling in the moment. When you're normalizing the feeling, you are just visualizing and verbalizing what you are seeing and almost like being that sportscaster or that narrator that says, hey, this is what's happening. I see what you're feeling. You're trying not to explain to them any reasoning. Explaining logic to someone who's going through something very emotional is not the time. Logic can be for later, but right now you have to meet them emotion to emotion. That leads me to number two. It's okay to be quiet. You don't have to always fill the space with that verbalization. Sometimes I find that parents are overdoing it. Okay, I see you. I see you. Yes, I see you. I see you. Yes, yes. It's okay. And that just adds more energy to the situation. When sometimes when you've done that and you've verbalized and made sure that they knew that you're listening and that you're there, it's okay to sit in the feelings. I get it. Sometimes when people are going through really big emotions, we want to say things or fill that space so that they feel better faster. But think about it when you are not feeling your best in terms of an emotional situation. When someone is there with you, just sitting with you, it can actually really help. Now, if someone is just giving you all this advice and okay, okay, it's okay, it's okay, Mona, you can cry, you can cry. Sometimes I can feel a little bit like, well, can you just give me some space to feel right now? So you have to gauge what your child needs. Normalize the feeling is very important, but don't forget, number two, that it's okay to be quiet. Number three is pivot when needed, and I use this example as a timeout. I also don't use a lot of timeouts, but I think timeouts are wonderful for certain children, for certain situations like we talked about here. I myself have given my son a timeout, and it really helped both him and myself and my husband calm down in that situation. So don't be afraid to pivot when needed. That is why I'm doing these episodes. That is why I created Pete's Doc Talk, so I can give parents the various tools that you can use in different situations or with different children, depending on what you need. When you get pigeonholed in, I need to do it this way, or it must be this, and now, oh my gosh, I'm going to destroy my child if I do this, you're not going to. If you do a timeout correctly, it's actually going to really help the situation. And in some situations, you have no other option, like we talked about on this episode. When she has to take care of another child and her child is having big feelings, yes, you can verbalize, but sometimes it means saying, I love you, I will be right back for you. And then when you do go back, you give them that love, you give them that attention, you follow through with what you said you were going to do. I hope this episode was helpful. As always, if you love the podcast and the Monday mornings with Dr. Mona series, make sure you tag me on your Instagram stories, share the love, and especially write a review because that's how other people discover the podcast. And I'll talk to you next week. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly. 
your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking